And it's your boys, Roshan Gomez and Jeremy Lim. What's up? Back for another one. <laughs> another one. You're so pumped, but like alcohol <laughs> is like, I'm going to go sleep anytime now. <laughs> I have to up my game because it looks like at any moment, Jeremy is going to pass out because we are drinking whiskey. <laughs> we are getting our alcohol on. <laughs> We're breaking the podcast barriers. I don't think I've ever seen a Malaysian podcaster drink and... Podcast. We haven't seen too many Malaysian podcasters. I, I've, I've, I've been roaming around. Okay. So, uh, All right. Malaysian podcasters, take that. Roshan Gomez and Jeremy Lim are the godfathers of drinking alcohol on podcasts in Malaysia. This <laughs> is the first time we're trying it or they're trying it. So we, we are we'll pioneers. See. And there's, if, you, if you don't recognize, there's a familiar voice. Our guest today. Um, our last wrap up, it was Samuel. Um, so we thought we had actually arranged for Samantha to come on to do our next wrap up, just so that you know there was some uh, like a legitimizing effect to counter whatever nonsense Samuel Samuel drudged up. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then this week we were actually supposed to have on uh, Tima. They're uh, a family-owned company that uh, actually I don't know. That's not the name of the company. The name of the company is Wine Pack. But they... The whiskey's name is Tima. Yeah, the whiskey... They, they manufacture a whiskey called Tima, which won some awards in San Francisco. And I heard... Oh, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about that. But I heard some other stuff. And they were supposed to come on this week. But unfortunately, their boss, their CEO... Um, is uh, sick. Is sick, mm. yeah. So we have rescheduled that. So we just swapped uh, Sammy's um, episode, you know, uh, logistically. Welcome to the house. Thank you. Things nice have, to be back. Things have changed. Yes. There are <laughs> funky new mic stands now. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap shit from China. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy always going for the bargain. Uh, we've got uh, mic stands, mics uh, that just came in. But we're only using the mic stands. <laughs> uh, when, when you first came on, I think it was just the three of us. Uh, and like a camera... <laughs> I think Jane was here, no? No, Jane. Yes. Oh, oh Jane was here. Oh dear. I'm sorry, Jane. Yeah. So, but now we have uh, more more people, and yeah, it's a it's a crazy setup. So, thank you so much for coming on last minute. Thanks for having me <laughs> back. How do you feel? Uh, good. Yeah. I think yes. Maybe a bit more whiskey would help. <laughs> we got yeah. you covered. We got you covered. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so because we were supposed to drink Tima while we recorded, so we thought since they're not coming on and we're already so excited to drink, we would just do it anyway. I think you would speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like maybe Jeremy could do like some practicing beforehand. Let's not embarrass ourselves in front of the alcohol experts. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to happen regardless. So, you know, <laughs> just brace yourself. Uh, uh, please do check out our YouTube video just so that you can see the shades of red uh, Jeremy is uh, currently experiencing. experiencing. <laughs> Samantha, not yet. Not yet. On the way. On the Maybe. way. Maybe you need a few more shots. I first saw Sammy drink when she was 14 years old. What a rebel. Half a can of beer? Yeah. Yep. I turned as red as a tomato. <laughs> she always turned so red. So, so, so red. Really like tomato. Aaron West House. You remember? Yep. Back in the day, lah, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, so her, her face did turn very red. And then I drank with you, Jeremy. The first time was we were going for our friend's Christmas party. Yep. At Alif's place. 
and I brought two cans of beer. Then and he, he stays in an apartment, so we dropped our friends off. They went up first. And I said, "Okay, Jeremy, you and me, we just drink one can in the car, then we go up." I think I almost killed Jeremy then. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so much that I think I had to down the other half. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that made me purple. <laughs> Jeremy's red was a different shade. It was like purplish. It looked like he was going to pass out at any moment. <laughs> it's not that. I mean, <laughs> not my worst drinking experience when I think about it. What's your worst okay. drinking experience? I think I was out with some friends. I don't know what possessed us to do this. Like, okay, sorry. Just before you say your story, my cousin texted me today in the morning. He's um 12 years old. <laughs> okay. He asked me who's the guest on today. Then I just became when he was texting me, I became acutely aware that my young cousins are listening to the podcast. So my dear young cousins, drink responsibly when you turn 18. Don't follow Samantha's uh, behavior. This is <laughs> unacceptable. I'm only thinking you will not stand for this. The last oh. episode that Samuel recorded, if they listen to that, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> because I'm not sure if you saw pedophilias in the title. Yes, I saw. Um, I listened to the whole podcast. How did you like it? I actually liked it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. This is this is uh, almost as unplanned as that one. So we'll yeah. get cancelled on this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're supposed to salvage this. Sorry. Okay. Uh, back to your story, Jeremy. I think we had. I think we had. Lots of food, and then we went shisha, and then we had drinks, hmm. and then um, those friends wanted to get some, uh, let's say, less than legal <laughs> substances. Hmm. So we drove to get it. Hmm. After getting it, on the way back, like, I think I threw up for like a solid like five minutes <laughs> at the side of the road <laughs> in front of my former university Monash. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, made for quite a story, because <laughs> I was there. They were like, "Dude," because <laughs> they the way they recounted it was like, "I calmly like hold up, guys. I opened the door and then started throwing up." <laughs> I was the driver. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh yeah. So you know, <laughs> that was quite a memorable story. Okay, kids, don't drink and drive. <laughs> yeah, don't drink and you guys are the worst role models. Drinking at fourteen, drinking and driving. <laughs> I don't, don't, do don't. I don't do it very often. <laughs> this is a, a, a episode to tell you about the dangers of drinking. We, we, we're not, even though we're drinking now, we are not, yeah. not we encouraging you to drink. <laughs> Sammy, what about you? Worst drinking experience? Mm, I'm not sure how much of it is safe for uh, uh, podcast public <laughs> information <laughs> knowledge. Oh my! But that, so that's so, crazy. <laughs> that's so scary. What the heck? No, uh, beca- because it, it. You know, it's crazy when the when you are. Uh, concerned for the safety of the public hearing your story. <laughs> uh, I'm concerned for the safety of maybe myself and the people involved in the story. Sure, sure, sure. But sure. Um, I'll I'll just sort of say briefly that mm. when I've had maybe a bit too much to drink mm. or a bit too much of a mixture of drinking and maybe like a cigarette mm. or whatever it is, um, I pass out mm. <laughs> and it everything goes completely black. And what happens is not that I fall to the floor, but I fall to the floor in this like extremely happy position with my hands next to my cheek, <laughs> looking like I'm going to sleep. And everyone freaks out. And and so there was this one incident where I was uh, between two friends and there was a table of us. Um, and, and you know, everyone sort of freaked out when I fell to the floor. Mm. 
until the girl who was next to me was like, yeah, I, I wasn't worried because I saw your hands go like straight to your head. And <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to sleep. You're just going to sleep. Yeah. It seems planned. <laughs> yeah. And when I wake up after that, I actually feel a lot better. Mm. So I feel like that helps with the processing of the alcohol, but it doesn't look good or, um, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 that, that, you know, is a, is a public like uh, danger, mm. I feel. I feel I wouldn't get up. Like if I had to, pa- if I passed out at that level, <laughs> yeah. I've had bruises from from Ooh. that happening, and it usually happens when I'm standing up. Mm. So, yeah, I am a danger to myself, <laughs> uh, and and also maybe anyone standing next to me at that point in time. Mm. I have a lot. So of I'm sitting down now, just for the listeners. I have a lot of <laughs> crazy. I've done some crazy. No, I remember the one you told was the one where you had to stand on a table and down it like really fast. You remember that one? No. No. What? That's not me. I think that was you. Huh? Like, I think you had like, it was multiple rounds of drinking and like you, you say you ended it at like this place where they'd have you stand on the bar table and down a, and down something. Oh, no, 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 no. I think I know what you're talking about. No, it's uh, that night I was drinking with, no, we had dinner with my, I was, pupil, I was a cham- chambering at the time. We went to Hatamas. We went to a Japanese place. We were having sake the whole night. Then uh, so one by one, like there was a group of 10. Everybody just left, 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 left. And then it was just three of us mm. left. Me, Edwin and Audrey. And then we went down and she was supposed, we were supposed to go to our cars. Audrey just walks straight and turns into uh, this bar in Hatamas. Then we go in like, Audrey, where are you going? What's, you know, where, where, where? Oh, we have a uh, music playing. He can't shut it off? Oh, okay. Can continue. Um, so then she just randomly turns in the place. Then me and Edwin follow her. And then we are like, Audrey, where are you going? Then Audrey was like, I don't know. She knew the bartender. It was a girl by name. I, let's just say for the sake of the story, her name is Sarah. La, okay? <laughs> like, Sarah, these are my boys. Edwin, Roshan. They need a tangachi right now. Yeah. They're like, what are you talking about? What the heck is a tangachi? <laughs> then she makes this gnarly drink, a mixture that I don't know what it is. And you have to like, uh, under 10 seconds, if you, you, you drink it, then you're picture goes up on the wall or something, <laughs> right? This drink is legit. So me and Edwin both drank it. All I remember is after that drink, because I was fine until that drink, <laughs> I went into the bathroom, I came out, I just remember everything being like, <laughs> it's moving. <laughs> I was like, spinning. Yeah, and it was such a, it became so weird after that because then I came out, Edwin and Audrey had started randomly dancing with random Punjabi people. <laughs> nice. And it was like, I, was, I entered a new world, like, you know, it was like a new chapter. So then what happens after that is I'm completely wasted. Uh, Audrey uh, uh, drives us back to, because we all parked in Bangsa. Drives back, I puke at like Bangsa village. <laughs> the bushes at Bangsa village. <laughs> I think that's the first and only time I puked during my chambering. Uh, and then she was like, can you drive back? I'm like, no, definitely can't. And, these are the, and that's the first time I think I've ever, from th- till then up to now, so I don't think I've ever asked someone to send me back. <laughs> Audrey stays in Klang. Oof. So she comes, drives all the way to Sungai Buloh. This is like already maybe three in the morning. Drops me here. She sees my dad sitting outside. So she's freaking out because she thinks that my dad is like, gonna, you know, hantam lah. <laughs> she doesn't know my dad has just come back from drinking. <laughs> so he's just sitting down smoking. <laughs> so my, he, my dad comes. I pass him. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. I need. Then I just go obsessed. My dad straight away goes up to Audrey and he, he was like, he was like, how's the car? Where's the car? <laughs> <laughs> That's an important question. <laughs> the next day, 
we he drives me to Bangsa Village to pick up my car. We drive all the way there, only for me to realize that I left my car keys in the house. It was <laughs> yeah. a whole thing, lah. Okay, it was a whole thing. So, uh, young cousins, boys and girls, <laughs> don't drink tangachi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we were going to stumble upon that bar just randomly. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of uh, um, drunks are you? Are you like a sad, happy? I'm extremely happy. Extremely happy? Uh, yes. I generally get happy a lot. Um, it, it's sometimes not uh, even just alcohol. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say nicotine really has that effect on me. But uh, yes, I, I, I get very happy. You, Jeremy? I'm just gonna fall asleep. Like that's <laughs> after maybe like I think one one pint of beer might be enough for me to be like, all right, it's time to go home and sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get really like uh, philosophical. I there's definitely uh, one part of the night where I'll be standing in the corner looking at everybody and like, why, why are we doing all of this? <laughs> We're just all lonely, sad people looking for love. And then you pass out. Nah, I don't pass out. Then I write really bad poetry on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I get I, I get the writing bug sometimes. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was this one time uh, I was drinking quite a bit. And and I realized uh, while I was lying in, in a bed, on a bed by myself, that I didn't have any... Um, oh, th- there was a notebook and a pen next to me, but it mm. wasn't my notebook and it wasn't my pen. <laughs> But but I was like, I have like words in my head that I need to put down. I started writing on my arm. Oh. And uh, one of these lines was actually, um, her eyes eclipse the sun. Ooh. And I thought, damn, this was a good line. That's I'm a sure good line. somebody has thought of it before. Yeah, yeah. I think like one or two days later, I go on Google and I put this line in. Yeah. I find out that it's been written once before or translated mm. from Portuguese uh-huh. from mm. a 15th or 16th century poet uh, oh. who is still considered until today Portugal's uh, greatest or most celebrated poet. Damn. So, so do you think it was a recollection or you genuinely like I was inspiration? Or did you tap into this is it, is guy life? or girl? This, mm-hmm. oh, he's a man. Man. Yeah. What's his name? Can't uh, remember. Louis. Something that starts with a C. You tapped into <laughs> Louis. <laughs> he spoke <Me>. through you. <laughs> Do you ever get like a bug to like just write, uh, you know, your uh, critique on c- uh, capitalism while. <laughs> that is not the way to get to it. <laughs> I think LSD might be better for you than <laughs> drinking to get to the solving of capitalism. <laughs> not for me, la, I don't know. Mm. For the most part, when I go drinking, I'm like by the end of the night, I'm like, why did I do this? Why did I agree to come out? <laughs> Isn't that always the case too? It's I mean, if you're I'm happy gonna... drunk, you might not regret it nearly as much. Everybody's happy drunk. No one's happy after. That's the, <laughs> that's the issue. No, Quote by Roshan Gomez right there. That's fair. Before the podcast, we were talking about uh, dating, talking about love. What 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 about? Uh, I mean, all three of us are single. Well, I'm single. Jeremy, you're single. I'm Sam, not single. oh, not single. No. Nope. Spill the tea, sis. What happened? Uh, <laughs> A Tinder match worked out. A Tinder match worked out? Yeah. Wow. Isn't that tough? Isn't it uh, difficult to find a match on on, um, on, 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 on Tinder? As in like, uh, isn't it hard to find like, you know… A compatible match? Yeah. Uh, so I've been using dating apps for the past 
three years, maybe mm-hmm. three to four years, uh, in general, and um, okay, so like to start off, a lot of it depends on how people look, right? Mm-hmm. And and so there's this sort of theory or formula that's been uh, devised by someone on the internet um, <laughs> that the top, I think, like a. Uh, 20%. Yeah. It's the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Yeah. So the top 20% are going to have like, you know, a bunch of like... A good time. Yeah. Matches. But it... It... it, it, uh, I think that's Nicole. Andre can open the... So we got another visitor. No. um, But doesn't that differ between girls and guys? I read that as well. So the top 20% of guys, I think, experience similar matches and uh, maybe like, you know, success. Yeah, but isn't it like... as, As women. Maybe. I don't know because I'm not a man. (laughs) Try to use Tinder as a guy. (laughs) Or an attractive looking guy. (laughs) I think I remember reading something like 20% of guys get uh, like pursued right by by girls. By like 80%. By 80%. But I heard with girls it's the opposite though. I heard it's like 80% of girls get pursued. Like I heard, I read something like that along those lines. So what I've noticed from friends, male friends who have used Tinder is that they generally swipe write on any girl who seems remotely attractive. And some people pay attention to like profiles mm. or what they write. So if they write things that doesn't appeal to them, then they don't swipe right. Mm. Um, but in general, I think men swipe right a lot more to increase mm. their chances of getting matched. Mm. And uh, at least for me, I'm a little more selective. Mm. <laughs> I think that applies to or, everybody though. Okay. I mean to all girls. Well, most girls. I'm not that surprised that there would be a difference between the power dynamics between girls and guys. I mean, even now, uh, like, okay, take away Tinder. Look at a bar, for example. Oh, no, you know what? Uh, my uh, my uh, chambi in my firm was telling me that opposite our building, there's a place where girls go in for free and then guys have to pay and come in mm. and then they match you together. Then I told her, I'm going to open up a company where uh, guys come in for free and girls have to pay <laughs> to come in. And, but it's a ridiculous but, it's a ridiculous idea though. Yeah, but like, okay, look at Bumble. Yeah. Okay, the dating app Bumble. Mm. Like girls have to initiate the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So there there are like sort of like rules but established in certain dating it's apps. It's still not the girl pursuing though. That's still the selection process is by the girl. Okay. It's like, what, what I'm saying is the girl always, yeah. you know. No, there is no hard and fast rule that says a girl cannot pursue a guy. For sure, for app. sure, for okay. sure. But I can I can explain to you why there is a justification and people don't believe me when I say this. People don't believe you probably because it's like, you're, are you going to invoke biology? Uh, no. No. So no. maybe sociology? No, that's not what you'd call that. So okay, go on. <laughs> so people, when I, if you say that guys should pursue girls and girls should choose, you're, it's a, considered a patriarchal, uh, outdated, sexist statement. I don't think it is. I think it's quite wise uh, because uh, girls have a lot more to lose in a relationship. Um, for example, uh, a girl getting pregnant uh, impacts the girl more than the guy. Mm-hmm. And so, a girl would want to ensure that her partner is serious. Okay. Because any guy can... In a world with abortions, where does that fit? Uh, well, one thing is not every girl is uh, comfortable with abortions. I think also that uh, it like physically and physiologically and probably psychology affects the girl a lot more mm. in, in the case of, you know? Yeah. If, if 
they choose to do abortion. No, so when you talk about things like chivalry, chivalry um, you know, guys taking the extra effort, paying for meals, it's just another way of saying that this dude is serious about this. He's investing in this and he's not going to run away when things get difficult, lah, right? Um, and that's the same reason why one night stands um, are also uh, are frowned upon because uh, if you're looking for a serious partner, right? then um, of course you can strike goal and randomly meet the perfect uh, person. But you want to put in strategies in your life that maximizes the chances of meeting a partner that is uh, serious and committed and will stand by you through everything. You don't want a fair weather partner. No one wants that. I, well, I, 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 unless that's not what you're looking for, I suppose. A sort of macro view of that, I mean, if you take into all of it in consideration, is that there as much as you sound like you're attributing agency to the woman, mm. I think there is an, there's still an imbalance mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, um, you, because I think you, you brought up like Jordan Peterson says, you know, like, you know, I think that we, women's capacity to withhold that is in, in itself power. But this is like, that's a miscon... That's sort of like... Withhold what? Sorry? Withhold access to them, I suppose. I wouldn't call it sex lah. Because that would go into the incel. Oh, you mean they are, they are the gatekeepers of... Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of that kind of talk okay. when it comes to the Peterson crowd. Yeah. So that, that in itself is sort of a passive act. The mm. agency is completely lost la, to me. Huh? You can have a... What? No. La. That's, that's... You... The ability to open and close a door, even though it's a passive act, it's still an act with power. It's definitely an act of power. I don't know. Would you, dis- would you agree? <laughs> do you do you think that girls have a lot more to lose in a relationship than guys? Uh, I generally don't think so for myself. I cannot speak for all the other women out there. Mm. I see. Because I think a lot of this is seen through the gravity of like monogamy and like, I mean, you want to talk about evolutionary biology, like people passing down their genes, that kind of, like too much of it is filtered through that kind of lens. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think what gets ignored is that you're setting up a certain narrative. Lah. It's yeah. the same thing like when we talk about Jordan Peterson saying rule number one, make your bid. Then people laugh at him and say, oh, it's such a simple, straightforward rule. Sami, you want to say something? Oh, I have to bring up a point because I feel like we're sort of uh, only addressing the fact that uh, we're talking about relationships of mm. like men and women, but yeah. what about same-sex relationships? Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, where there are two women or mm. two men. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole that, completely different that discussion. Answer, yeah. Neither of us can chime in on that, I would think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh, enough about that, those <laughs> communities. Those are, that's a whole different can of worms. Like, it's so complicated. The dynamics, look, men and women uh, entanglements are so complicated. What more uh, between same, se- same sex? La, and, and Okay, but to sort of maybe, um, because Jeremy mentioned monogamy. Yeah. So I have previously identified as polyamorous. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know how big of a word is to the listeners. <laughs> just means poly, poly means many. Yeah. And uh, 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 This is not to be confused with polygamy, which yeah. is marrying okay. multiple partners, yeah. but polyamory is like being in a relationship or having romantic relationships yeah. with a- more than one partner. A- amory meaning love. La. So many, yes. many types of, many love. And with polygamy, many marriages. Um, you, you get yeah. the play of the words. La. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I noticed, because I've been the primary, 
the two dating apps I've primarily used for the past few years are mm. Tinder and OkCupid. And OkCupid offers a lot more of a, a curation in terms of like how you present yourself. Mm. So there are categories to state that you're, you know, like you're uh, heterosexual. Heterosexual. You're looking for no, Hetero- is it like? Hetero- heteronormative. Heteronormative. <laughs> no, la, yeah. heterosexual. Okay, heterosexual, yes. homosexual. Uh, and then and then when I first used the app, there were things like uh, gay, lesbian, um, heteroflexible, yeah. bisexual, um, things like that. Mm. Now there are things like demisexual, mm. allosexual. I do not know what half of these <laughs> words mean. Um, mm. There used to be sapiosexual. They took that out and I... Because it doesn't mean yeah. anything. Isn't sapiosexual being uh, attracted to intelligence? To intelligence. Yeah, but, I but think that's there was not a, whole, a sexual orientation. Yes, there was a whole debate about whether or not that's an actual sexual orientation. Yeah. Or, yeah. Why not? So, if people who are intelligent still identify as a certain gender. Mm. So that category becomes now. Mm. Yeah. So, Unless you're attracted to books. And I'm like, okay, that's mm. something else, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So there, there are a lot of different sort of ways that people want to define who and what they're attracted to. Mm. Just so maybe counterparties don't get confused. Mm. But I'm not sure if that just confuses everybody more. <laughs> From oh, your experience, Sammy, you're not supposed to cancel us. <laughs> you are so not supposed to cancel us. I don't think I'm getting cancelled. <laughs> I guess I'm the one who would be like, because I have the more okay. conservative sort of uh, outlook. <laughs> Depends who the audience are. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like... Um, I don't know. Like, it's really confusing. But I think there needs to be some... I still believe in something, some sort of reality. Like, that there is some objective uh, statements that we can make. Like, you know. <laughs> and I think, like for example, when I hear about... You know, have you all heard of like things like Elfkin? Nope. You know, when people identify as uh, part of the Elfin community. Or oh, vampires. Vampires. That's fun. Lycan, werewolves. Um... Well, if you really think that you're a werewolf, um, I just, you know... I mean, but who are you to deny their reality? La? Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we're going to get cancelled. It's like, you know that... <laughs> there was that... Um, uh, I'm standing with the Lycan community. <laughs> Whoever they are. Jer- hey, elf you, elf you, skin. You, oh, I really like the elf idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elfin, Elfin, I don't know what, how you say it, community, you have a new member. <laughs> Jeremy wishes to join no, your ranks. No, I want to just observe. <laughs> just um, be a bystander. A few years ago, there was a scandal, right? Uh, not, well, yeah, um, controversy. A guy uh, from, I can't remember the country, one of the European countries, sued uh, Tinder, I think. Hmm. Because they didn't want to let him put the age that he identifies with. Ah, okay. Right. Okay. So he, he, that's what I mean by there is objective reality. Whatever it is, I mean, you can spin it and yeah. say, oh, I got bi- my biological age. I also have factoring in the, my health and whatsoever. I'm younger than, you know, my BMI and my metabolism rate. So yeah. I'm actually 25. But there is a biological age. That's an objective truth, you know. And I think we, we, we need to you can not be afraid of saying things like that. Like, you know, how is that controversial? I'm not sure if it's the question of being afraid of it, but more that like, because you have to think about how we arrived at this point in history mm. and new realms of freedom will be discovered. And mm. so if you think it's complex now, mm. it's going to be much, much, much worse. Yeah, I'm waiting for people for. to start but you, uh, but you monogamous believe, relationships with robots. I'm, that's coming soon. Man. Hold on, but, but you believe that there will be a backlash. Is that right? Meaning? 
you will believe that you believe there will be a reversal of what? Of? As in, we roll back to where people don't identify this, you know, the pansexual, demisexuals. Yeah, I do believe that because I think. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, you think I, you've gone too far? Like? I no, I think ideas generally they uh they like they're like a pendulum. You know, I I just feel that we always will tilt liberal, then we'll tilt back conservative, then we'll tilt back liberal. I think that will just continue. Yep. Okay. Um the intensity <laughs> the intensity of might vary, if that makes sense. But sure. uh but it's still that common swing that will go back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, and probably the definition of what is liberal and what is conservative is yeah. gonna change. Yeah. As it already has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there is always going to be a tension between uh, freedom um, and also order. You know, sure. you're going to have people who really believe in order and these people are not bad. And so people who strongly believe in order, it's hard for them to grasp things like uh, the Lycan community because it's, they need to categorize the world in ways that they can understand. Mm-hmm. These are people who are not uh, particularly creative these are people who are very conscientious. They are very goal-oriented. This is how they view the world. Then you also need the people who believe in freedom. You know, these are people who, yeah, you know, they, do, they see uh, boundaries as limiting. They see boxes as limiting. But again, neither two are, are bad. And in fact, we need both characters in, our, in any society. Mm. You know. I'm not confident about that kind of balance because someone has to win. Not necessarily. I don't think so. I, like I said, look I think at, it's Hold a, on, a look swing. at history. Mm. People have won. The, I mean, in that sense, feudalism was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, there is a forward march. There is no swing. Not, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's always forward. Hasn't, hasn't, oh, well. hasn't, isn't, there the, is a, isn't the argument that the feudal system has just been replaced, has just been replaced by another system? Uh, isn't that the argument for that capitalism is just another form of the feudal system in another form? Isn't that... That's a bit ahistorical given what it's done to human lives. Uh, in that the, the circumstances of the, the, the reason misery is very different. For sure. But th- that's what I'm saying. Like what I said just now. The intensity changes. If that makes sense. But the swing is still there. So you still, have com- you still come back to the same problem where uh, a group of... Uh, a, few, a few benefit where the majorities don't... Where the majority doesn't. And you're going to swing, right? So that's what Marx says. He always ends up in a revolution, right? Even Hegel says that. Synthesis, what was it? Synthesis. Yeah, but uh, there is destruction. Yeah, but it swings. It swings back. I don't know. I wouldn't think of swinging as the right sort of uh, analogy for it. I think it does have in itself progress. I don't see it as swinging. I see morality as circular. I don't see it as going in a straightforward Okay. Linear fashion. Mm, then, mm. yeah, that's. But how much do you think that's informed by your sort of. Oh, we're very, very far, very far off topic. Like, <laughs> Definitely. But how much of this is because. This is the most serious discussion. <laughs> <laughs> this, we are grappling with things we have no idea. We can't even fathom. No, but how much of this is informed by the idea that there's an eternal God? No. Um, uh, well, as a, may, as a, maybe personally for me, yeah, it informs the way I view the world, but even in a secular standpoint. Look um, at uh, Socrates, uh, Plato, um, Aristotle. What were the questions they were grappling with? What makes human beings happy? How do you find purpose? You know, these are the same questions, you know. Sure. Or, or after like, what, over 2,000 years, people are still grappling with the same basic questions. But that doesn't you mean can that read, was... You can read Marcus Aurelius now and use it in your life. That's what I mean. There are certain things that... 
So you don't think there was an expansion of freedom? No, no there definitely is. But then the wouldn't same, that be progress? But the same, yeah, no, that's what I said. That I am saying that there is progress. But there's a... Um, but then the pendulum wouldn't fit because the pendulum, as an analogy, mm. is a stationary object moving left to right. It doesn't um, progress. If, if people... Uh, go ahead. <laughs> go, yeah? See, I don't know if this uh, analogy would, would make any sense mm-hmm. without a diagram, a visual aid. <laughs> but it could be spinning. Yeah, there's a sp- the, like the analogy that people in use like is a spiral. A, right? Yeah, yeah. So spiral, it's not yeah? just staying in the same dimension, it's moving. I, I took out the paper. For <laughs> so but I don't think you... I uh, Can you... Try? <laughs> as it's close to a spiral as yes. <laughs> Can I show this? If, if, we're, if we're talking about like, let's say two opposing views of like liberalism and conservatism, yeah. whatever, then it'd just be like on opposite ends of the spiral. Lah. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that implies some, for, some, some progress. Movement yeah. Or change. And okay, let's look at freedoms, right? So mm-hmm. arguably, we are the more, most freest we've ever been. Sure. But that's then what we of, like to think. That's what we like to think. You know, a lot of people I, would argue that no. Mm, we are I think not. in general, like society is just constrained by whatever norms um, that have been established. Not sure about that. norms, but or it's more the… Orders. Orders. Laws, if we but want the, to use a modern… The thing I, I, I feel is that just because you're more, there's, I feel a false um, dichotomy. dichotomy between freedom and happiness. Sure. I don't think that's necessarily true. People seem to think the more free you are, the more, more happy you're going to be. No, that's not true. I've um, not heard that one actually. You haven't? I feel like disciplined <laughs> not people are like happy too. <laughs> not that I'm very disciplined, especially <laughs> after drinking. But <laughs> no, not really freedom in the sense like uh, I think you, you have mean. A routine, yeah. I think you mean the. I again, I presume you you have drawn this from the Jordan Peterson sort of literature, no. insofar as that like mm. people are living fairly comfortable middle class lives, mm. but they're not happy. Uh, not only that, but even like uh, above uh, middle income, even rich people are unhappy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think in all social classes there yeah. are people who are happy and people who aren't. For sure, but and I, that's my my thing. I think sometimes we don't have the conversations about a purpose of fulfillment. That that doesn't seem to be our you know what drives the conversation. Just a segue into yeah. that. I don't. But to me la, I don't think there's you. Sh- I wouldn't feel particularly sympathetic to the middle class or the upper class who are unhappy la. Why? Because you know. So I've heard yeah. this one analogy where uh, people are talking about how they would rather be rich or poor and happy or, or sad. Mm. And, and I think what one person said is, I would rather be crying in a Bentley than uh, <laughs> laughing on a bicycle. It would make like all that. the difference, yeah. I don't think that's true at all. I really oh. don't think that's true at all. I like because I've, my I've, bike. <laughs> I've spoken to like my uncles and aunties who grew up poor and they said they were really contented and happy. Yeah. I've met, you know, I've, I, 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 there's a boy that I drive from church. He stays in the low-cost flats, right? Um, because in uh, um, the church that I come from, a lot of them are affluent, right? There are a lot of people who are rich. There's one boy that I remember, this is another boy, in, I was teaching him Sunday school. And I sat next to him and then he told me, uh, I think he needed to talk to someone. So I just sat next to him and I started a conversation. He went on like a Kanye West rant. You know, legit, he was like, you know, Cher, you know, 
I just wear a t-shirt and, and, and three-quarter pants. You know, people think I'm nothing. But I put up this front because they don't know. I have my phone. They don't even sell it in Malaysia. <laughs> Everything I put up is for the benefit of them because I don't want them to know who I am. He just went on a full-on rant, right? Okay. This guy is loaded. Loaded, right? But he's like so unhappy. You know, imagine living your life like that. I, and then you contrast it with another boy that I sent home. He's in low-cost flats. But he's a tight-knit family. And even though they're poor, he's happy. And that's what I mean. There's a, you know, a false thing where you think that... Dichotomy. Yeah. You think that, oh, just because you're poor, it means you're going to be unhappy. No. You know, no, it's not true. Uh, I don't want to linger on this too long, but I'd like you to consider the social effect of that kind of narrative. Lah. I know poverty is bad. <laughs> yeah, poverty you know, is traumatizing. But it, it we... The but, but happiness or sense of purpose, um, it, it transcends any. Uh, it can effectively it transcend any predicament you are in. There's a um, stoic philosopher. What's his I name? I don't think that's going to repay your debt, though. There was a stoic <laughs> philosopher. I can't remember his name. Uh, but he was a slave, right? And sure. he's one of the more famous stoic uh, philosophers because he talks about even though he was a slave, uh, he never felt uh, lesser of a human being. And he never felt unhappy even though he was a slave because he had the power to control his outlook in life. They can do, you know, they can take away your, your, your entitlements. They can take away your ability to do things, but they can never take away your soul. You know, you can be in the deepest, darkest parts of despair, but you can still find, uh, uh, you can still transcend. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be a, a victim. You don't have to be hurt. You can transcend that. that I experience. think I wouldn't use the word soul rather mm. than choice. Mm. And, and that is freedom. Mm. Yeah. I would contest me. that because, I mean, he can... He can because you, his... you see everything as, <laughs> as yeah. control and being controlled. And then you say, oh, he's just part of the system that is seeking to repress. I know, I know the lingo, dude. <laughs> but in the, in the end of the day, when you're talking to a person in a practical sense, because we all get cast in wherever, uh, wherever we are in our station of life at this moment. We can't destroy the system right now. How do you talk to that individual? You have to talk to the, the hum most human parts of that person. Every person, whether you're rich, poor, or middle class, fear, rejection, want to feel love, want to be happy. You know, those things are, are, are the same across. I'm sorry for my rant. I blame the whiskey. So as Roshan has said, he's gotten all philosophical when he drinks. Oh, damn. <laughs> Damn. I'm not asleep yet. <laughs> <laughs> How did we come from dating to this? Not sure. But we should veer back. <laughs> how how uh, did you know that your Tinder match was a good uh, um, good match? Communication? Mm. Mm, talking about it. Mm. Um, generally, I... Uh, I'm not sure if analytical mm. or or strategic mm. is the the word I would use um, to describe how I approach dating matches. Mm. Uh, but previously, and I have written about this before in a, uh, a business newspaper <laughs> that is uh, widely read across Malaysia. Mm -hmm. um, you can't name the paper. <laughs> so I've, there there was this uh, this column on the edge called Coffee Break. Uh -huh. One of the things I'd written about for the column was uh, how I treat dates or matches on dating apps as uh, stocks in a portfolio. Mm. 
So I would... Uh, and, and, and this definitely applied when I was polyamorous because I could have be invested in a series of stocks. <laughs> and then when they stop delivering returns, <laughs> then, you know, I sell. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> so the question is, why did you stop the polyam- polyamorous part? Uh, okay, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll start with how I decided or um, believed I was polyamorous. Mm. Uh, and this came not from like a innate belief as a child that I wanted to be in relationships with like a few different people as, at once. Yeah. But I think um, what happened was that I think my first uh, sort of serious exclusive relationship didn't end well because the person was cheating on me. Mm. Uh, and, and when I found out, uh, I asked this guy, why didn't you just tell me mm. instead of going around behind my back? <coughs> mm. Because if you felt that our relationship wasn't fulfilling and you needed somebody else, um, that you needed to see somebody else, then just tell me love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say that I can offer you everything in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and and if, if somebody else is going to make you happy, then um, I still want to love and care for you no matter what. Mm. And, and so I sort of took this idea of deciding that I want to love and care for as many people as... Or I want to love and care for each individual. Because mm. like I fundamentally believe that people, each individual has dignity. Mm. And maybe not everyone agrees that they deserve to be loved or that everyone deserves to be loved. But I think uh, I attach value to every human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wanted to care for them. And maybe I was mistaken in thinking that the best way that I could care for people is through romantic or sexual um, relationships and encounters. Mm. And and for the longest time, I thought that was my way of expressing love and care. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of strange because I feel the first person that I decided that... I mean, when I was a lot younger, I was like, I don't want to, to die until I feel I've successfully loved someone. Mm. And the person that I felt I showed the most love and care to mm. was actually my grandmother. Mm. Completely non, you know, romantic yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, because this woman... Yeah, if people know you, then they, they will they'll be... Uh, they will know how controversial your statement is. <laughs> yes, because... Uh, and I'm going to, to announce... Not announce. announce. <laughs> I'm going to make it known like may, publicly may, here because also, I've already made it known publicly. Also, may her soul rest in peace. Yes. Mm. Uh, she, she passed away earlier this year. Mm. Um, when my grandmother was alive and I was 17, she threatened to kill me um, in a very physical manner by holding a cleaver up to my neck for a few hours. Uh, and, and that incident happened, you know, over the course of a few hours where, you know, we, she'd been, she was upset at something that I hadn't done and, and she felt disrespected. And it was during the course of her holding the cleaver up to my neck that I realized that a lot of this is coming from a place of insecurity for her, like on her part. Mm. And I think I told her while, you know, like crying and like being traumatized that I forgave her. And I think she sort of flipped out and, and she was like, what do you mean? What are you like, you know, I'm like, she told me that I'm the one who's supposed to apologize and, and to, to be sorry for what I've done. Like mm. she hasn't done anything wrong. Um, so that ended without my grandmother killing me because like, you know, she, she, I'm not sure if calm down is the right mm. word, but she, you know, <laughs> like took the knife away from my neck. Mm. Uh, and, and over the course of the next few 
months and even years, I was um, struggling with PTSD. I had uh, self-mutilation, self-harm issues. Yeah, um, yeah trigger warning, like, uh, <laughs> you know, eating disorder, uh, suicidal tendencies. And, and this would go on for many, many years and would actually, like, sort of leak into, like, and affect my relationships, um, my romantic relationships. Um, not so much my relationships with friends, maybe. Mm. Uh, because I... I was very fortunate to have a support system. But years after that incident, my grandmother uh, injured her back and was bedridden. And uh, I've never spoken about this publicly, but um, it was my mother and I and my aunt who were taking care of her uh, physically. So she was bedridden at home and we basically had to clean her. And, and I think to me it was sort of this moment of realization of, of looking at this woman who is basically bedridden, if I wanted to take revenge or to hurt her in any way, it was like fully within my capacity to do that, mm-hmm. you know? But I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I could maybe imagine that that is something somebody else would have done, but I could never imagine doing that myself or hurting her. Mm. Uh, and, and I felt in those months of taking care of her. And even um, after she recovered and she decided that she needed more uh, immediate care and she decided to move to a nursing home, um, I would go and visit her and spend time with her and sit with her and talk to her. Um, and, and I felt like that to me is like the fulfillment of the love that I felt I wanted to give to people. Mm. Yeah. Mm. How did she receive... Um, your care? Was she like grateful, indifferent, hostile? Mm, I think, so like whenever I used to visit her at at the nursing home, she'd Mm. get very happy Mm. because uh, I'd I'd bring her food that she likes to eat. And I think, you know, like it's just seeing someone that she's familiar with and and recognizes. And and it got to a point where like, I think, you know, because of age and things like that, she would uh, not really remember everything. Mm. So sometimes she would call me her niece or, <laughs> you know, like, like uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, then, and then like the, the work at the, <laughs> the nursing home would be like, no, that's your, your granddaughter. But, but yeah, and, and, and she's always had this like streak of pride. Yeah. So she'd like boast to, you know, the other people at the nursing home, like, look at my granddaughter or niece if she forgot that <laughs> I was her granddaughter. Like, yeah. Um, and, and, and it was sort of a, like a, a source of pride for her that, you know, like, oh, my granddaughter or somebody that I know is actually caring enough to come and visit me. Mm. And she's bringing food and I'm in a position where I have all the food and I'm going to share it with you because mm. I'm so generous. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, if she wasn't fighting with everybody else. <laughs> yeah, because my grandmother generally, she made an, every, enemies with everybody mm. uh, in her life while she was alive. So was it a, I, how, yeah. was it a healing process for you? The whole thing? Mm. Do you think that you're healed from the whole that trauma? I think so, but I don't think that my I'm red already. <laughs> Russians red? offering us more whiskey. Yeah, I'm like uh, uh, I'm gonna be hydrating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think um it helped, mm. but it wasn't the soul or like the soul factor that led to me healing. Mm. Uh one of the things I did after many years of Realizing that I had not, I had maybe gotten over that trauma, but I had not dealt with the way I had coped with the trauma initially. 
So when I mentioned earlier that I did, you know, self-harm, mm. uh, eating disorder, a lot of those things stayed with me. And like, if I faced other insecurities in my life, whether it was work or in terms of relationships or, yeah, I think those were the biggest, like maybe stressors, mm. uh, then I would resort to those coping mechanisms again. And I had to seek professional help to stop doing that. To spend stop resorting to that. Therapy. Mm. Yeah. So I went for talk therapy um, a few times. Mm -hmm. I felt it it helped me to an extent, mm -hmm. but eventually I felt the need to also see a psychiatrist mm -hmm. um, because uh, it it was it was getting in the way of my my work, um, and and I held you know my job, uh, or I still hold my job to like a very high regard. Like I want to be able to commit to it and, and to be able to deliver. And uh, I, I took like a couple of days off M as MC mm -hmm. to actually go to a hospital and like get myself checked out. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Oh, sorry, that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, Jeremy's yeah, not having any I'm, more whiskey. I can't. I actually poured more whiskey for Jeremy. I'm my head just, is, I want to pour for you water. Uh, my head is, I got water. My head's already heavy. <laughs> Brief if intermission. Another, if it's another glass, I will be asleep. <laughs> I promise you, I will be asleep. Come on, Jeremy, write something down. <laughs> Come on, we need a line from you. You need a channel support. A thesis on. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> What's going on in that little brain of yours? Come on. Like, when am I going home to fall asleep? <laughs> Lie down on my bed and get this, old, <laughs> get this done. There is a, a thing about therapy in Malaysia, especially with um, antipsychotics and with um, antipsychotics, uh, yeah, with antipsychotics, with antidepressants, uh, with uh, medication, like basically, right? Uh, there's a tendency to over-prescribe, and because and you're supposed to wean off it eventually, right? Isn't that the ultimate? That goal? is my goal, <laughs> and I think my doctor's goals for me. But there's, I, so there's I, some people who can't because it's brain chemistry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the the percentage of it being brain chemistry and uh, extenu extenuating circumstances, you know, it's how much of it is nature and nature is always very complicated. And so what, ha I've had friends who go to psychiatrists and when they see the medication is doing well, they up the doses. Mm. Yeah. Which is crazy. You know, and I've had friends, uh, one friend in particular in Sabah, I think, um, she kept on saying that she wanted to wean off but the, the, the psychiatrist was like, no, it's working. You should, you know, more. Yikes. So I think uh, there's a difference uh, between psychiatrists who are trying to make money off the medicine mm. and psychiatrists who generally want you to be self-dependent. Mm. Uh, the thing about me is that I went to a public hospital mm. and and they're, you know, they have a lot of cases to deal with in a day and the first appointment I went for, he already prescribed me medication and I was very hesitant because I'd heard about side effects from friends mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and about how they were just having medication pushed onto them. And um, common side effects include like uh, weight, weight gain, gain yeah. and even more um, emotional instability. Yeah. Mm. And worse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> I have, yeah, I know nothing about that. No, that he's subject. definitely on medication. And yeah. then he has a lot of problems with medication. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. He's so, really insecure about his weight. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I... 
uh, was prescribed um, a specific dose. Mm. And the doctor was like, you try it for two weeks. That should be enough to like have side effects kick in or whatever. Then you come back and you tell me whether you want to continue or not. Mm. Uh, and the first few days of taking it, I felt a lot. Actually, the first couple of days felt strange. Like it was like a hallucinogen. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into the office the next day and I told the, my colleagues sitting next to me, I feel like I'm walking on a cloud <laughs> to the office. And it was like, yeah, okay. But um, yeah, so, so I have managed to reduce my dosage. Why is it wrong to feel... Oh, but Okay, so if it's working for you, what, yeah. did you have side effects? Negative side effects? Uh, I mean, I would love to feel like I'm walking on a cloud all the time. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I, I only felt that for the first two days. Okay, oh, it doesn't last forever. I, see. I think you might want to try actual drugs than antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be better for you. But different bodies re- respond to the medication in different ways. So why did you want to wean off? Uh, one, because going... Every time I had to go to the hospital, mm. there uh, and and because it's a government hospital, they operate on like Mondays to Fridays. Mm. You set up appointments, and it's only an emergency case if you're going into, you know, like if I mean if you actually like you know work. Have dying. a psychotic break. Yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. that they won't admit you. Uh, I, I mean, think I'm I think, not sure what the. I, I think the it's more like if you're going to harm yourself, lah. Probably. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Because mm. when when I first gone to see the doctor, I expressed like I have had issues with suicidal tendencies that I almost act on or try to act on and I'm fortunate that like I have people mm. who stop me mm. um, and and things like self-harm and, and that was considered m- mildly serious mm. like uh, mild it, I was I was diagnosed with mild depression mm. um, and uh, but every time I wanted to go and collect medication because they're not going to sell you like you know like medication for like you know like months or yeah. like a year right like you could you know abuse it so so I would have to take a day off to go back on like during office hours and if I had an appointment I would have to take a day off and I would have to wait the entire day or half the day just to see the doctor mm. kind of thing and I felt also like um, I, I really appreciate the fact that Malaysia has mm. you know affordable public health care but if I can get off of it and the resources can go to somebody else then by all means I should yeah wean off yeah. it's a and, and, and a dependency on the medication that I take every day is not something that I want to continue for the rest of my life but do you have to do you couple that with counselling or is it mm. just medication I speak to uh, the psychiatrists when I see them which mm. is once every six months maybe oh. but that's, I feel like that's pretty infrequent no? yeah but I feel like I've also uh, gained a lot more from just talking to Friends. Friends and, and other... Jeremy. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> now what? we don't know how to segue out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Roshan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've spoken to other like um, friends or, or like even, I guess, professionals mm. who... But, but not on a, a like... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say that it's not long-term. Mm. But it's it's gotten to a point where I felt like I've been helped by people mm. uh, without paying for a psychologist, mm. which is expensive. <laughs> yeah. Private psychologists, yeah. just therapists. Mm. But okay, all these your history of uh, mental health issues, 
started with that incident? Mm, I would say that I had uh, sort of depressive leanings or thoughts uh, mm. even before that. Mm. Uh, and, and that might have exacerbated it. Mm. Mm. I mean, you are a creative type of person. La, so. See, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's this like whole troubled artist. I think. If this troubled artist narrative should be like, you know, perpetuated because I feel like it's quite unhealthy. Well, it's not. Uh, Although, yeah. In, I'm just saying it, it might be true, la, right? I mean, for you to be able to. Sometimes beauty and pain are tied up together, you know? For you to be able to. You know, like the most like messed up people are the people who are able to make the, like, the most amazing art. So like, I mean, your theory is that people who can stare into the abyss are yeah. going to be fantastic painters. Well, they're definitely, <laughs> they are definitely, they're definitely communicating something that really resonates, right? I could stare into the abyss, but I don't think I could draw more than stick figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are you off medication? Not yet. When are we? I'm targeting <laughs> end of next year. End of next year? We'll have you on. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like one of those like stock forecasts. That I, I, yeah. But do you find it easier to talk about like your mental health in these kind of circumstances where I think people are getting more awareness mm. about like mental health and dealing with it and like a lot of like the talk about self-care, mm. like that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, I think there's a growing like trend towards people acknowledging it mm. um, and, and becoming more accepting mm. of the fact that it is uh, something that people struggle with, but it's not going to stop you from being a contributing member of society. Yeah. So a couple of, I guess, incidents where um, I've where I've had to bring this up or be questioned about it is one uh, when I was recently hired for a new position. And, and before they hired me, I, I declare, I generally declare that I am on medication mm -hmm. for, or I'm on antidepressant and antidepressant. And um, they just, the lady in HR just wanted to know like what, what it's about and how it would affect my job. Do I have to take like sick days or, you mm. know, like how, how often do I have breakdowns where I can't come into work kind of thing. Mm. And, and that makes sense for an employer. And I feel I want to be transparent with my employer about that. Uh, the second was when I was applying for insurance and it took me, I think, two years to secure an insurance policy. Oof. But I think also that insurance companies in Malaysia, and, and, and this came as a surprise to me, but my insurance agent, because I recently signed, you know, like an, uh, an insurance plan, he was surprised that they came back and granted me the insurance plan um, it, without delaying it any more than it, it had already been. It covers? Uh, it covers critical illnesses and uh, I think life. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I definitely see people talk about mental health issues a lot more. And people definitely recognize it as a... Uh, Legitimate I, problem. Yeah. And I think correctly so. You know, you can... All of us grow up getting injured, right? We cut our fingers, our leg. You know, we fall down, we yeah. scrape our legs. <laughs> I cut my finger yesterday. That's why this specific, <laughs> the specific example. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm doing that as psychological release. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we all fall down. We, we, we scrape ourselves up. Sure. It's only normal for your brain to get injured as well, right? For experiences to sort of knock it up a little bit. But, Psychological. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess, but the only thing is, I think uh, there needs to be more dialogue because I have found that a lot of people have replaced the word sad 
with depressed you know it's really, really weird like legit you know they are not depressed they are sad they are down but they call it depression <laughs> teacher i'm getting depressed <laughs> you know and i just feel like i know what you're trying to communicate you're trying to say it's you're trying to communicate that i'm in a more than normal intent, uh, state of sadness uh, but i think depression even mild depression has to fit some criteria like the real inability to do something yeah. the real inability to function you know that that is depression lah Uh, managing your emotions in terms of like you know we all get we have down days and up days mm. you know and you have to manage your emotions you know you have to learn how to manage your emotions but i think it gets um, it doesn't help when we mix up these words i think these words are important you know the distinctions yeah and popular media probably doesn't communicate that the best yeah 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 but again la like it's always i think uh, there'll be because there was no com- uh, conversation about mental health there'll be an over Uh, reaction, and then we will find a balance somewhere in the middle. I I I kind of really believe that. Yeah. Do you have any uh, blowback? People have ever like you know I don't know make fun of you, <laughs> insult well, you. People have insulted me and called me names, uh, especially after all my activity on on dating apps. Uh, <laughs> and ah. and you know like while the whole like uh uh oh we we didn't bring this up, but uh, I was not. I was quite recently doxed on social media. Yeah, so in our last um, episode, uh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Oh no, Jeremy! Jer- oh, Jeremy! Jeremy! Can you walk straight? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy is going to the bathroom. Um, in our last uh, um, episode, where we <laughs> where we had uh, Samantha on. Um, At that time, you had just transitioned out of Al Jazeera. Yes. Yeah. So you had you, you know you told yes. us about your work in Al Jazeera. Few weeks after that, uh, the whole Al Jazeera scandal happened, right? Yes. So for listeners who aren't aware, uh, there's this uh, investigative uh, program called One One East that um, looks into largely human rights uh, issues, um, and and they released a documentary about uh, migrant workers in Malaysia. And the public of Malaysia didn't take very kindly to the video because they felt like it insinuated things that were not um, true. Yes, about Malaysia. Mm. And so, what happened was this massive witch hunt mm. against not only the producers and and the reporters involved in that documentary, everybody, but everybody in Al Jazeera. And the crazy thing is, at that point, you were not in Al Jazeera. You were not even when you were there. You were not on the team that worked on it. Yeah. But your profile was still up. Yep, and <laughs> and I'll just say it. Uh, it was triggered by a screenshot um, posted by our former prime minister, oh. Najib Razak. Datuk mm. Sri Najib Razak. DSN, what have you done? How dare uh, you? That that showed that um, the ad, the location of the of several admins of the one o one East Facebook page are located in Malaysia. Mm. That doesn't mean they're Malaysian, mm. but people took it to mean that they were Malaysian, mm. and basically, I think they'd found um, my profile on uh, Al Jazeera's website because I'd written articles mm. um, and used my byline, yeah. and my photo was there. So they found my Facebook page, uh, Instagram, and not Instagram. Um, oh. They found my Facebook page, and oh. there were several posts that I made public 
uh, and and you know like there's this barrage of comments from people, yeah. random strangers, potentially bots. People say, uh, or cyber troopers, like even yes, yeah. cyber troopers. So so these people were basically you know uh, cursing me in Malay, mm. mostly in Malay, and uh, and and that went on for a few days until I privatized my post. And this was not just happening to me; it was happening to other. Um, Al Jazeera employees as well who were not directly involved or mm. not even like on the same on the team that produced the documentary, and uh, I think it it died off after a while. You know, they took my my picture, circulated it on Twitter as well. But I think like you know, they came people came to realize that there's not much else that <laughs> they can <laughs> say uh, about. Like because because I wasn't involved, they couldn't prove that I was involved in the documentary. And yeah. and kind strangers on Twitter decided to defend me and say like, you uh, have have twenty four hours to take down this post or there will be a police report made. I don't know who was making the police report because I wasn't <laughs> making the police report. Um, yeah. So so it it never uh, amounted to anything. Mm. Um, and and I sort of like took those posts private. I had like one or two friends who noticed and they were like, what's happening? Why are the comments blowing up on this one post? <laughs> uh, and and so, so a few people had seen also uh, the fact that my name and my profile was circulating and, you know, they messaged me to check if I was okay, but nothing uh, as extreme as like physical threats happened, which mm. um, would have been a cause for a police report mm. and was the case for uh, some of my ex-colleagues. Mm. Yes, but that did not happen to me. That's crazy. I mean, I mean, you wonder if they'll ever act on it, but the threat is scary enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even the threat of violence is still um, uh, egregious. I mean, it's uh, you can definitely do a police report. Mm. Um, but it's crazy. La. I, I mean, I was talking to Sammy when this whole thing was unfolding. And um, I was like, I checked up like, the people who were commenting, especially the, the more crazier ones, right? And damn, they are from, I went down this uh, rabbit hole of Facebook pages that were like, you know, all, basically all right Malays lah. All right Malay. Uh, well, not only Malay lah. All, all right lah. But majority Malay, you'll have some Indians and Chinese there as well. But they're anti like... Um, anti-immigrant. Yeah. Anti... No lah. They would say anti-illegal immigrant lah. Yeah. Well, immigrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like... The speech is just so damn hateful lah. I just... I don't have the taste for it lah. You know? And again like it just comes back to the thing of attacking people instead of attacking ideas, it's just so damn personal, you know. But what idea would you attack as a substitute? Well, you can you can definitely attack the idea of like whether we should uh, be more, have uh, stronger... Uh, immigration bo- laws. Immigration laws. You definitely can say that. That's fine. That's fair game. You're probably doing that on top of the doxing, no? Yeah. My, my problem is not that. You know, my problem is the doxing. La. My problem is like, the threat of violence and attacking yes. people and you know vilifying people to that extent I just it's I think it's bad lah it happens on, mm-hmm. on both sides you know yeah as, as someone who's been called or all sorts of names uh, and as a former journalist mm. and I think um, I, I I used to write as a journalist right but there there are journalists who are on TV yeah. on radio mm. and I've heard like the the sort of criticism they get is a lot worse Mm. Um, and I think it's about, I feel I've personally developed like thicker skin, 
So I just like. But just, I would imagine it'd be tough though with all your with your back. with your mental health stuff as well. Uh no, because when I was going through what happened with my grandmother, mm. I realized that the person who could or was causing the most damage to me was myself, mm. and I, and I feel like all of these things that people are saying to me or can even threaten me with, mm. it's a. Uh, I can do a lot worse to myself than that. Not that I should. And not that I want to <laughs> but or I will. Could. Uh, you but can't threaten me. I've <laughs> I've gotten to a point where I I know what I I've decided on my self worth. Mm. Yeah, and, and that also applies to like uh, uh, relationships and what what I decide to stand for or decide to accept from matches on Tinder or OkCupid <laughs> or I've decided to you know stand for mm-hmm. accept from matches on OkCupid. Um, and and I feel like I've gotten to a point where you know, it's it's annoying mm-hmm. and it's it's mean and people shouldn't be doing it, but I'm not going to be intimidated by it. And I think that is the point of most doxing. It's mm. to intimidate mm. and to scare and to harass and to break people down because they disagree with sort of the views that you're espousing mm. and they feel like if they take down proponents of that view, mm. then they'll stand a much better chance of defending their argument. Mm-mm-mm. But I mean, it happens across the aisle as well, you know. You mean the spectrum? Or? Yeah, I mean like even you see liberals doing the same thing, you know. This whole, again, and it ties back to the thing that we were talking about when you first came on about cancel culture, right? So something I've discovered since then is that mm. the Me Too movement is fundamentally different from cancel culture. In There's sense? a distinction to be made because Me Too was calling out sexual predators. Mm. Cancelling someone was over bad views, the JK Rowling case. So I think those mm. are distinct mm. and people want to make the distinction because I think it's fair mm-hmm. because we were talking about actions versus intentions. Yeah. Me too, you would go after someone hopefully based on their actions rather than intentions. Yeah. But even with the Me Too movement, it's a very tricky thing. La. Why? It's a... Um, because again, you... Mm, you Okay, so for example, a girl... Uh, calls out a guy for inappropriate behavior. Hashtag me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if lah? Huh? What if the the guy's side is he didn't do anything wrong? Sure. Then you've um, uh, preemptively made a judgment call on this person, this guy. You've, you know, you re- you really affect his reputation lah. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's no basis for it. You know, it's different if you 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 and I, but at the same time, I understand the other side of it, which is, you know, these girls don't have individually; they don't have any power to. To um, fight back, lah. So they need a, they need this movement to prop them up. But there, there are gonna, there's gonna be um, collateral victims, lah. You know, there, there definitely is. And um, the rule of law has to persist, lah. There, there still has to be, uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, a legal, definitive statement saying whether that person is a sexual predator. That should not be left to people to decide. Yes, I would like to bring up that Malaysia currently does not have a sexual harassment law. Yeah, but They're tabling it, I think. No. Yes, they there are uh, efforts to table it. So I hope that you know whatever political uh, uncertainty <laughs> <laughs> our country is cover- currently facing, mm. that it would not delay like the progress of this bill or addressing it in Parliament. It's mm. tough. It's tough to say that the current coalition is interested in that though. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> We're not getting cancelled today. <laughs> <laughs> I 
mean, I don't think you're gonna get cancelled over this. Yeah, Ele- when are the election results coming out? For Sabah, uh. voting is today. So tonight when will or tonight? Like three a.m., four a.m. Oh, yeah. If you're gonna stay up, because I'm not. <laughs> I'm going back to sleep. Like <laughs> you're probably gonna sleep right now on this table, man. Pretty <laughs> <Already> close. <laughs> <laughs> I hear it thumping. <laughs> what did you think of Jeremy when you first met him? <laughs> Do it. <laughs> This is a conversation we're going to take off the podcast. Why? Guys, I know you have a boyfriend, Sammy. You moved too fast. Why what? didn't we let this thing work out between the two of you? That's one of the... When we ha- first had our... Uh, you're assuming there's a thing. Mm. Well, you're assuming there's a thing. There isn't. <laughs> uh, when, when we did our episode together, one of our friends messaged me and like, is Jeremy and Sam together? Then I'm like, I wish. La. I wish. Then he was like, can you make it happen? Can you make it happen? I'm trying. I'm not, <laughs> sh- I'm not sure why this person would do that. But okay. <laughs> nice of him to decide to intervene on my behalf. You would have such smart babies. I'm just I don't think that's how it works genetically. Uh, but maybe that's how we need it to be. We just uh, pair people according to their IQ level. There will be an aristocracy <laughs> like within two generations. <laughs> You're not going to enjoy it because we are going to be bullying your kids. <laughs> Oh, what the hell? Yeah. What? Bully my kid. So I'm the low IQ person here? Jeremy? <laughs> what the heck? How dare you? You know what? This is your one... No, this is your 2A uh, uh, elitism coming out. Okay? 2A. Against 2C. Right? Right, 2B, 2B, 2B. You're 2B, dude. We're talking about classes, yeah. I'm assuming. Because yeah. I don't know what they're you talking about. You know what, about. Jeremy? For all your conversations about speaking up for the middle class... You were right there in the front, weren't you? You were up there, right? You're the one <laughs> suggesting that we have this aristocracy. <laughs> you I'm saying it's were a bad part idea. of this class structure. I was literally middle class. <laughs> <laughs> you mean a class in a class <laughs> classroom kind of way? Sure. Oh man, yeah. So no more doxing now. Nope. I think things are going good for you. No doxing. You've got a job. You got a new love interest, uh, anti off antidepressants next year, twenty twenty one. That's the plan. Uh, but yes, I was very fortunate. I think to have uh, gotten a job offer and confirmed a job offer, like uh, in the midst of a pandemic, where, yeah. the, where which is seeing like you know very high unemployment rates. Mm. Yeah, it's been tough times. It's going to be worse in a very short while. <laughs> Why? Just Cases are spiking across Europe. Oh. And uh, Indonesia and the Philippines. Yeah. So, you know, it looks like as much as people might hate going back into lockdown, we may have to. There are more targeted lockdowns now in Jakarta um, and and I think in parts of, uh, of the Philippines as well. And even in Malaysia because cases are rising or have been rising in Lahat Datu, in Tawau, in Sabah. Mm. So, we can't do another lockdown, man. Everybody's saying that. We I know. But lockdown. The, the economy would destroy No, but itself. what beyond the economy, like people are learning much more about the virus. So mm. like if you've followed the coverage, there are people who've recovered from the virus, mm. but they are like they are biologically wounded. Like they're yeah. fatigued. It seems like and I think there are after effects of having contracted the virus. This is so damn weird. La. Yeah. It's so damn weird. You know, I've had a friend in Kedah. Who had her whole family has it. Oof. But she was asymptomatic. Yeah, yeah. But even like 
after they got her, you know, they know confirm COVID, even it's been a few weeks now, she's still asymptomatic. Huh. It's so weird. Her whole family is perfectly fine. Hmm. It's so, so weird. It might be like, it's really, there's something... They are biologically advanced. <laughs> they are the future. <laughs> they are the future. Who needs high IQ babies? <laughs> <laughs> if you have that kind of aristocracy, it might be more fair. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but like, my friend was telling me that like teenagers, like people our age, teenagers and people like young adults, like are increased risk of stroke after you contract it and recover. So... Like people who are treating it lightly and be like, oh, I don't want to go into another lockdown. Should really reconsider what their life will be if they catch it. <laughs> but that means the economy is screwed. <laughs> that means uh, the only way is if we have a, um, a a vaccine. All the best to that. <laughs> so, yeah, there there are different strategies that ASEAN countries are adopting when it comes to vaccine. Either they're developing it on their own or they're partnering with Chinese companies or the US, mm. the US companies, or the UK, the Oxford. Uh, yeah, that one. Mm. Yep. So, so I feel like there is a lot of uh, attention being like put into developing a vaccine. I read an FT article that says there are 30 different vaccines. Because yeah. like that article breakdowns, breaks down the different ways a vaccine is made. Mm-hmm. And like everybody's just taking a shot at it. Damn. But nobody's nobody's um, optimistic that we're going to get it until like middle of next year. So herd immunity, no more an option. If you want to have, if you want to increase your risk of stroke, go ahead, lah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I'm sure people are like. I mean, we're talking about mental health. Like, people are going to be far more depressed if we go into another lockdown. But is that the same as having risk of stroke? I don't think so. Mm. I, I yeah I don't know <laughs> I really don't know um, all I can say is uh, to all the businesses that just started up oh shit <laughs> good luck so I've had a friend who runs a uh, F&B outlet mm. who says that he's actually experienced sales during RMCO mm. just like past one two months mm. uh, that have actually been better than before MCO mm. which suggests that I mean people are just like itching to get out oh, and yeah. spend money on food and being <laughs> outside which no. is positive for some businesses. Yeah, because you know, it's basically like your squirrels and you, you're, you're <laughs> storing up your, your, you know, the nuts in the tree, right? And then like the moment, it's like a forced uh, hibernation, right? Then the moment it pop, opens up, you're gonna, I got all this store of cash in my bank. <laughs> Time to spend. <laughs> I'm not sure if people are thinking it that way. They just <laughs> miss their roti chanai or whatever. Mm. <laughs> Because yeah. I was thinking like, you know, what, what would I, if like we did another two-month lockdown, what would I be doing at home? Yeah. But it's also, uh, like I've, I've spoken to a lot of friends who have sort of like reevaluated their priorities. Mm. Meaning? Uh, deciding that they want to be closer to family or they want to spend more time with certain people or doing certain things mm. um, because, or, or like they, they value uh, different, like things differently. Mm. Yeah because of the fact that lockdown changed a lot of what we would normally be able to choose or do. Mm. Wow. You know, the kids that grow up from this period are going to be really weird. Mm. I don't <laughs> think it'll be that bad. La. The Malaysian kids in sure. particular. Weird. These are kids who are, have grown up to this whole Pakatan fiasco, 1MDB scandal, uh, COVID, 
the next generation of kids that are growing up to this, they're all going to be weirdos. Confirm. Look, mm, I'm not seeing that. Grandparents, maybe even some of our parents' generation grew yeah. up during like World War II. Yeah. The whole fight for independence. Yeah. So we're going to see the return of the baby boomer type mentality. Really hardworking. <laughs> really hardworking. That ain't happening. Goal-oriented. Unless the, <laughs> this, is, uh, like, this is alleging that, you know, our generation is not hardworking. Well, no, different. Which, no, I think our, our generation is hardworking in, but in terms, but the goals are different. Like our generation definitely, we are willing to work but for things we are passionate about. You know, our, our parents and grandparents, not so much. Yeah, sure. Go, 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 go. I'm not sure if this kind of like generational discussion is actually very grounded. People seem to be doing a lot of it in retrospect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely, for sure. But don't you see a difference in the generation though? Mentality-wise, in general? But I mean, I would see... I mean... People are adapting to the times. Mm. But this is more about the times than the generation. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's for me what's weird. I don't think you would have commonalities for like a middle-class American who's Gen Z with an African kid struggling to grow up in Africa with no internet. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah definitely, so, definitely. so that's why like I think these categories were invented by corporate types and even some churches even some even some churches think about like this gen gen z gen y kind of discussion but like it was designed to sort of try and pigeonhole people and to ca- categorize something that to me isn't a real I don't know whether it's a corporate thing it might be a human thing like we as human beings we tend to like to yeah. box and categorize and Lump people, you know, but you should see the number of people who get to sell trainings, like oh, dealing with Gen oh, Z. Oh, I see, I see, I yeah. see. Yeah, so like they have more of an incentive to prop up mm. any kind of narrative, lah. Yeah, so a bit like the what, uh, what is it, Robin D'Angelo, the mm, the <laughs> white fragility, white fragility, and like, it's so stupid, lah. <laughs> you don't know it's a book about racism in. Uh, no, she's just trying to sell her course. <laughs> she's making lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> she says crazy, really extreme things. Yeah, because... <sighs> Do you think, like, I think one of the crazy things she said that as long as you're black, you can't be racist. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But that's that's yeah. like standard abuse of standpoint epistemology. Lah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the same way they probably accuse some Jews who are pro-Palestine of being self-hating. Mm-hmm. Like, it goes down that route. And, you know, it's... It makes no sense in the face of it, but uh, liberals can't turn around and tell you the world that we've constructed is great because you're suffering, right? So what they'll say is that you know they're bad actors or this or that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's counterintuitive, lah. So it's kind of like almost you give away your agency when everything, like, when people are unhappy and everything is about or caused by someone else. And it is to a certain extent. But it kind of also, doesn't it like um, de-empower you? It depends. I mean, if you're being treated shittily at your job, Mm. trying to get a better mindset doesn't change the fact that you will constantly be abused. Right? Okay, but um, let's say you're working in like Gordon Ramsay's kitchen, right? Sure. And you're getting hurled abuses, right? Right. But it develops your character and de- develops your resilience and things. Obviously. That's a retrospective sort of consolation, right? Pe- there are also people who work in factories where their hands, I mean, they die of diseases because, you know, the 
the factory doesn't care about safety. Yeah. So in that sense, you can it is a, it is a bit of a sliding scale. Some I mean exploitation. So, but there's a difference between exploitation and also, you know. Yeah, but you how how would you imagine the person who's in who's inhaling like toxic fumes every mm-hmm. day at their job? Mm-hmm. I think it's unrealistic to expect them to have a positive outlook on life, purely as a coping mechanism. Mm, yeah, for sure. But I I guess those scenarios, I think, being exploited, I think is very different from. Okay, so, so so get get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I get Explo- what you're exploitation in the the Marxist definition. Okay. You and I are being exploited because we are selling our wage labor. <laughs> yeah. So, but I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree. With yeah. That okay. Definition. It's it's a de- definitional difference. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. think of exploiting as something cruel. Yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, children in like India in factories. You yeah. Know, yeah. That 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 is different. Marxist definition is that the CEO being paid six figure salaries can still be tech. Technically exploited because yeah. yeah, yeah. he's forced to sell his labor. Yeah, yeah. But like what I'm saying is for me, right? Uh, let's say I'm in my own work environment, mm. and let's say, and I have been in like tough work environments where the bosses have not been nice, right? But um, and they've been mean, mm-hmm. right, and hurtful and whatever. But I take it as as much as I can, I and mean, it's difficult as learning opportunities to transcend it to try my best. It's like going to a fight. You know, and to and you out of that fight, you become stronger. You know, that's okay to say. And I know you don't like the privileged language, but like that is something we can say about these middle class jobs. Everybody's privileged to a certain extent. I don't know if you say that to the plantation workers. Do they have two hands and two legs? That is then they are more privileged than a person who doesn't have legs. That is very reductive. <laughs> Everybody has privilege. Then it just becomes a battle of whose privilege is more, whose privilege I mean, is better. I get your, I get I'm the middle, critique. I'm middle class, but I'm also a minority. You're you're minority, but then culturally you come from a culture that has uplifted itself. So whose privilege outweighs whose? I'm not interested in comparing <laughs> per se, but you know, I think when it comes to the work scenario, mm-hmm. it's tough to dispute when some like when it's like bad mm-hmm. and you can't like mind palace your way out. With Malaysian Chinese people, it's funny, you know. It's you have a weird thing where um, you're a minority, uh, but you have your own form of privilege. Sure, I <laughs> I agree with that. Like Malaysian perceived, Chinese are more perceived Im- privilege. Perceived mm. privilege, yeah, yeah. It's a weird kind of. Uh, I get, but I don't know. I mean, perceived to some extent, but I think we get to exercise it in very interesting ways. Like mm. the when it comes to renting, yeah, we are not we are not discriminated against. Yeah. You know. Or we are discriminated positively. Yes. Yeah, discriminated yes. positively. Yes. Right? It's very funny. Yeah. And things like, I think people have a perception we're good with money. <laughs> and then, you know, That is hard-working. a very uh, false presumption. <laughs> Jeremy, it is very false. Jeremy spends the bulk of his money on board games. <laughs> I no, don't judge no. you for it. We but are not <laughs> judging you, Jeremy. Not wise, <laughs> but you know, I'm like, I'm not admitting to this stereotype. <laughs> oh, but like we, yeah, you get to exercise it in certain ways because like, I think if you get into like a grab, people are less anxious. Like there's a lot of these kind of like stereotypes that yeah. I don't like. It, to not call it a privilege is a bit odd. Yeah. <laughs> I just think like... <laughs> it's not, it's, I mean, in that sense... Yeah, I understand your <laughs> allergy to the oppression Olympics. 
But <laughs> Operation Olympics. <laughs> I need to join. I need to join. <laughs> Operation <laughs> Olympics was like I think right right wing like no. <laughs> like right wingers came up with this with this with this categorization that you know all liberals are attempting to you know win the Operation Olympics. And in Operation Olympic, winning the Operation Olympics is not just that you're a minority, that you're an ally and you can get someone across the finish line. That's yeah. their definition of winning also. Yeah, it's yeah. deeply problematic. But you know. <laughs> I'm waiting for like the Messiah prophet figure of the liberals. They this person no. would have to be an amalgamation of all the most un you know the, the 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 all the labels in one. Like this person must be a minority. Barack Obama. No, not really. I mean, uh, Barack Obama is a man. Can't. Sure, that's he already one. has privilege because he's a man. Can't, and he's half white. So, but they would never elect Ilan, Ilan Omar <laughs> because she's a socialist. <laughs> so, you know. Elon Musk is also South African. <laughs> Who? White South African. Elon Musk is, is South, he South African. Is he South African? He is. You can go look it up. He is. Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know if he's naturalized to be American yet. But he grew up in America, right? I don't think so. Oh? Yeah. I'm not sure how much of, uh, how many years. Yeah. Elon Musk is a weird dude. Mm. I'm not sure how much of that is actually the American influence. But you know what the funny thing is? A lot of, all of them are middle income. What do you mean? Uh, Elon Musk is middle income. Was. Was middle income. Sorry, was middle income. Definitely not now. Was. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, uh, Bezos. Um, who else? There's a lot of argument though about like their ventures being initially found, funded by, you know, their parents. parents. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Bezos got... Uh, like what, 200,000 yeah. from his mm. parents at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these are not like, for some reason, old money people. You know what I'm saying? Old money, old money would prefer to be quiet and in the dark. Think about mm. the Koch brothers mm, 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 and the, du the, the DuPonts. The DuPonts famously funded like libertarian think tanks to the hilt. Mm. So they would rather you not know about it. And like, of course, there's the standard conspiracy theory about the Rothschilds. Yeah. They are not interested in any kind of like public limelight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just to, to circle back to the, the concept of privilege, uh, and I, I feel like this can can also be applied to maybe uh, love. Yeah. Although we did not really talk about this. <laughs> uh, it, I feel like it's a matter of choice and what you do with the cards that you are dealt. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, th I would... And, and when it comes to things like uh, oppression yeah, as well. Yeah, okay. but I, what I would say is I think everybody has, to a certain extent... Uh, like I don't this I don't I'd rather not use the word like privilege, but like everyone has their cards dealt. Uh and everyone has strengths strengths and weaknesses. And you have a lot of power. La. You do have a lot of power. Systems are can be rigged against you, but at the same time I would say don't underestimate your power. La. You have a lot of power. Yeah. Mm, okay. I can't empathize with that. That's far too individualistic. <laughs> because I think because yeah. having read history and what collectives have achieved mm. by way of struggle and freedom. Mm. It's tough to argue that your station in life is what it is. But there had to be an individual galvanizing sort of force, right? If you talk about your Marx or you talk about your... So that's not even the theory. Marx's theory is that social forces develop. Mm. Individuals are irrelevant. Yeah. So that's his conception of it. I don't think I agree 100%. But yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> you're thinking about that. But like his, his, his theory of like historical materialism would be, you know, it, it took a lot of time for feudalism to erode. That's not usually an individual action. You might see Napoleon destroy this or that, mm. but 
what came, what created the conditions for Napoleon is far more the driver of history than Napoleon himself. So that's, that's sort of the way he looks at it. Mm, mm, mm. Um, this conversation has been one of the more weirder conversations in the sense that... Stranger than even Samuel's, I would think. Because yeah. I listened back, like, Samuel's one we can categorize. Yeah, this one really <laughs> is talked like about pedophilia yeah. here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just to recap, we went from uh, alcohol and, and how we are drunk yeah. to dating apps yeah. to uh, uh, sort of... Uh, no, uh, psychotherapy. Psychotherapy came a bit later. <laughs> psychiatry. Oh. Psychiatry, oh, uh, mental illnesses. And, uh, and so we also touched on... Uh, privilege. Yes, Do- and, and also sort of doxing. doxing structures of how... Uh, oh, God. <laughs> I think this is going to be fun. All the best. These things are really, really complicated. Uh, but Sammy, it was nice having you on. Uh, maybe we'll have you on again soon, hopefully. Uh, maybe this round we do recommendations. Who do we have on next week? I don't remember. Who's on? Oh, it's might be WAO. Oh, WAO is coming on next week. Oh, nice. Boys and girls. Uh, so please uh, stay tuned for that. Um, okay, recommendations. Jeremy. Mm, take your mental health seriously. Because like, I think I take it for granted that I'm a fairly emotionally stable person. Mm. And like, having talked to people and having the conversations about like, you know, yeah, people dealing with their mental health you should give it some thought. Yeah. Uh, I thought we were doing recommendations. No, you, what kind of recommendations? <laughs> like, this is like life recommendations. <laughs> you should deal with your life this Jeremy way. has recommended mental health. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with your mental health. I would like to recommend, <laughs> since we're on the topic of knowing what you want from a dating app or from your matches before you match them. Um, yeah. Because I think people don't realize that they have the power or the agency to choose what they want to get from it. Mm. And uh, if something else is not going to make you happy, then do not let that happen. <laughs> I'm going to re- recommend a product. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay within the ambit of the definition of recommend, okay. which is uh, I've actually been listening to a podcast. Now, there is, it's a Bahasa podcast. And it's called Sembang Sembang Kencang. <laughs> if that's it. Sembang Kencang, yeah, podcast. Okay. Um, it's our conservative Malay podcast. But, uh, and it's very like, they're, you know, they're really full-on Malay conservatives, uh, re- uh, Muslim, full-on Muslim. They are basically, uh, they would be me, but, Muslim. Okay. <laughs> they have Jordan Peterson fans. You know, the whole the whole gambit. La. Okay. Um, I don't agree with a lot of things that they, they say. Uh, but I like that they're having these conversations. Um, I like the thought that they're putting uh, into this uh, uh, stuff. Sure. In, into their, their arguments. Uh, they had, the latest episode was about the Bangsa Bubble, uh, liberalism. They went hard on liberal, liberalism. Um, and I thought it was... Interesting. Very, very interesting. So I would recommend it because I think it's a good podcast. We need more podcasts like this. Smart okay. dudes. Smart dudes. Cool. Um, thanks so much for listening. Samantha Ho, thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for having me on and thank you listeners for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we hope this wasn't too confusing. Boys and girls. We also hope you don't take away the wrong uh, messages. So we'd like to repeat Please mm. do drink responsibly. Oh, my dear cousins, dr- uh, drink only at the uh, proper age. Dating apps only at the proper age. 
Um, actually, yeah. you know what? Don't get dead. You know, just <laughs> all of you are becoming priests and nuns. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Samantha Ho. And we are done. Yeah.